can go ahead and grab your seats and grab your Bibles as you're doing that and turn to Galatians chapter 5. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers are at the front here, and they're walking towards the back. Just slip your hand up in the air. We'll make sure a Bible gets across to you. Uh, we really, really want you to have a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own one, then just keep this. It's our gift to you today. We pray that it would bless you and serve you well as you seek to draw near to the Lord as we are seeking to do today. Um, I, I want to read, read for us again um, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, we're in the midst of this series on the fruit of the Spirit, and so hopefully this is becoming very familiar to you now, hearing this week after week, and this is going to be a bit of a launch pad for us. So we're going to look at this and then dive off of this like a springboard into a number of other texts, but let's just anchor ourselves in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires." That last verse reminds us that the very things that the Spirit of God are trying to produce within us are often being opposed to our flesh, to uh, the sinful part of us that still remains even as followers of Jesus Christ. And the fleshly part of us wants to produce the fruits of this world. And I was thinking about that. Paul contrasts the fruit of the Spirit with the works of the flesh. But, but I thought of it like this this week as I was processing through the fruit of the Spirit uh, again. I, I thought about what would it be like if the world made a list of the fruit of the world? What would, what would be on that list? And I couldn't help but think that um, successfulness would probably be somewhere near the top of that list. I think we, we feel that, we sense that in our, in our culture, that our culture prizes success, that the fruit of the good life is a successful life, something that people can look at and is praiseworthy, making much of yourself, something that's admirable. And the truth is, I think, that all of us, to some degree, want to be successful. And I don't necessarily think that's, that's a bad thing. We all want to be successful. I've never heard a child say that when they grow up, you know, when I grow up, I, I want to be a miserable failure who accomplishes nothing and doesn't amount to anything. You don't hear that. And even if it's not spoken, we all have this inherent sense that we want to become something, do something. You see, our problem is not that we are ambitious to be successful. I think it's that we don't define success the way God does. We too easily embrace a worldly vision of success instead of understanding that the way God spells success is F-A-I-T-H-F-U-L-N-E-S-S. -S. Success in God's economy is actually faithfulness. At the end of your life, let me put it like this. At the end of your life, when you stand before King Jesus, I want you to hear this. He's not going to ask you how successful you were. He is concerned about how faithful you were. 
The biblical word, faithfulness, it speaks to this idea of reliability, of fidelity. It speaks of not our faith in something, but really someone who can be counted upon. In other words, it's, you can think of it kind of like this. What allows somebody to put their faith in me? Their confidence in me? And you could really use a number of different words to describe faithfulness, to nuance this idea of faithfulness. I, I think these, here's three good words, okay? A trustworthy, loyal, and committed. I think that really sums up what it means to be faithful. You're trustworthy, you're loyal, and you're committed. And I want to uh, maybe look at this from the opposite angle, because I think to understand faithfulness, all we have to do is think of it like this. Um, it's not somebody who is untrustworthy, it's not somebody who is disloyal, and it's not somebody who is uncommitted. That's the opposite of faithfulness. That's, that's the unfaithful person. That's the slothful person, the lazy person, the person who doesn't amount to anything in the world's eyes or in God's eyes. The faithful person is one who is trustworthy, loyal, and committed. So here's my question to you. Do you want to be successful? I hope the answer, listen, is yes. But I want you to define success the way God does. So here's the better question. Do you want to be faithful? If you do, as we've seen, this is something that God must produce in us, but at the same time, it's supposed to be cultivated by us. So I want to just simply ask three questions to help us cultivate faithfulness today. Three questions to help us cultivate faithfulness. Here's the first question. Am I totally trustworthy? Am I totally trustworthy? What does it mean to be trustworthy? It really should come as no surprise to you that the, the, the supreme standard of trustworthiness is God himself. I don't know if you caught the theme um, of the, 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 the service today through the songs we sung. Every one of them revolved around the faithfulness of God, didn't it? And when you think most about faithfulness, I hope what you think about is how trustworthy God is, that the God is the one, the supreme one, who is worthy of all of our trust. He is the one who is absolutely, completely faithful. He never changes. He never shifts. We can place all of our confidence in him and in him alone. He is the definition of faithfulness. He, he is utterly dependable, totally reliable. He alone, let's, let's be clear about this, he alone is actually totally trustworthy. God's people have always put their confidence in the Lord. The story of the scripture really is, again, we've, we've kind of said this about every one of these fruit of the spirit, but it's, it's absolutely true. The story of the Bible is the story of the faithfulness of God, of people who are constantly unfaithful and are compared to adult, adulterers, oftentimes, pagan idolaters, a rebellious people, an ungrateful people, a complaining people, and yet what we see over and over again is in spite of the people of God being unfaithful, God is always faithful. I want to just show you a, a quick handful of scriptures just to cement this in your heart and mind. Listen, they'll be on the screen here. Listen to, to what the word of God says. Deuteronomy 7 verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant 
covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Psalm 31, verse 5. By the way, the Psalms, if you just read through the Psalms, they're filled with the testimonies of how faithful God is. So, so if, if you find yourself doubting the faithfulness of God, maybe in, in challenging circumstances in your life, I, I, I always counsel people and encourage people. Listen, if you're facing difficulty and pain and turmoil and you're confused maybe in your life, go to the Psalms. Because the Psalms are written by people who understand trials and pain and tribulations. And and they inevitably, they look at their trials, but inevitably they come back to this, this idea. God is who he says he is. God is absolutely faithful. And I can trust him no matter what I'm facing. Psalm 31 verse 5. In your hand, into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Psalm 111, 7 says, The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Psalm 145, 13. Mark began our service with this today. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. And Jeremiah, listen, We've, we've, this has been wrapped into a lot of the songs we've sung today together already, but Jeremiah, in the midst of his lamentations over the judgment of God upon Judah, he proclaims these, these words that I think are so familiar to so many of us in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and I love this, listen, Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness is a a fruit of the Spirit precisely because, listen, it is an attribute of God. You have to remember that. Everything that God is trying to produce in you is simply a carbon copy of who God himself is. Do you realize that? Never lose sight of that. God is trying to produce in you the very character and nature of himself. And so when we, when we read that we're called to bear the fruit of, of faithfulness, what we're being called to do is simply turn our gaze back to God to understand what exactly that means and what exactly that looks like. Let me say it like this. If we desire to be much like God, we must learn to look much at God, okay? That's like etch that principle into your heart and mind today. If we desire to be much like God, we must learn to look much at God. This is why Paul can say in Colossians 3, you know, when you, when you want to, you know, walk the faithful Christian life, what does he say? Just really try hard. It's not how he starts. Do, do you realize in Colossians 3 what he says? Here's how he begins the whole, before he gets in the put off and put on, you know what he says? Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Why? Because the answer, listen, this is some of you, you you've been trying so hard to strap on the fruit of the Spirit as if it can be done in your own strength without realizing that it all begins by simply looking to God. This is why every week we anchor ourselves by looking at the character of God. Every week we keep coming back to the character of God. And and it's the simple principle, the world has this principle kind of embedded in it, right? You are what you eat, right? There's some truth to that, right? Looking around this room, no comments, but I think we all know, right? 
We all, we all get the principle, but listen, the biblical principle is this. This is really, really important, okay? You become what you behold. You look like what you love. You reflect what you revere. I love how, how G.K. Beale says it. He says, what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. So what does it mean to be trustworthy then? Well, I think we can break it down really into two components. I think to be trustworthy is ultimately to be somebody who is honest, and and then second, somebody who is dependable. So let's just take those one at a time. Um, To be trustworthy is to be honest. And that means that what you you speak is true and right and pure. I I love how the word of God, it's emphasized, you know, John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Every word of God proves true. Here's the standard of truth. God never lies. He's always honest. So let me ask you, are your words true? Do you do what you say? Or do you waver on your word? Uh, consider as a, as a biblical example of somebody who's honest and dependable uh, the character of Daniel. I hope you're familiar with Daniel. Daniel, obviously living in a pagan land, he rises kind of up the ranks of leadership. He becomes a very important person in the, the community. And what's really interesting, if you look at Daniel, and in fact, this is what they did. They tried to look at Daniel. This is all the other kind of uh, his peers, people in leadership. They were trying to look at him and trap him. They were trying to find faults in his character. But look at what it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 4. It'll be right on the screen here. Listen to this. It says, then the high officials and the satraps, they sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But look at this but they could find no ground of complaint or any fault. Why? Look it, look it. Say it with me. Because he was what? Faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. What an astounding statement. By the way, statements like this are made about Moses in the book of Numbers. He was faithful in all God's house. In Hebrews, he's held up as a standard of faithfulness in front of the people of God, but he is merely a shadow that's pointing towards the one who is greater in faithfulness, Jesus Christ himself. But when you look at Daniel, it's, it's such a fascinating case study. He couldn't be accused of wrongdoing by his enemies. There was no deceit or dishonesty in Daniel, even as he lived in a pagan, God-hating world. I want you to think about this. He was not, at the time, living in the nation of Israel. The, 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 the temple and, and the, the worship life of Israel was not central, and yet here we have a man named Daniel living in a pagan, idolatrous community, and he is faithful to God. I don't think he was cheating on his taxes or lying about his income. I don't think he was defrauding his neighbor or trying to manipulate others for his own benefit. I think he was honest and ethical in all his affairs. Proverbs 12.22 says that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Listen to how it's contrasted here. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Did you see how faithfulness corresponds with honesty? Honesty truthfulness. So 
So let me ask you, if someone was to take a, a magnifying glass to your life, if they were really to inspect it, would they find corruption, deceit, dishonesty? Are you truthful in every area of your life? Are you totally trustworthy? And, and I would just say that as you're thinking about this, what I want to encourage you to do is not just look at the big areas of your life, look at the little areas of your life. In small ways, do you fudge the truth? You tell little white lies, do you withhold information when it benefits you? You say, why, 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 why nitpick the little areas of your life? Here's why, because if you're willing to compromise in the little areas of your life, it's only a matter of time before you compromise in the big areas of your life. You build patterns and habits of either virtue or vice. So I wanna encourage you, be scrupulous when it comes to honesty in your own life. Secondly, I want you to see that Daniel was not just trustworthy, he was dependable. People could count on him. He, he undoubtedly worked hard. Um, there was no quiet or loud quitting with Daniel. I have no doubt he was on time for his appointments. He kept his commitments, he honored his word, and he considered how his actions might affect others. I mean, how often in our lives does dependability take a backseat to personal desire and convenience? Let's be honest. Well, I know I said I'd go, but I, uh, something better came up. The attitude of our age seems to be, I'll keep that commitment if it's convenient. I like what Jerry Bridges says. He says, for the person who is practicing godliness, dependability is a duty owed not only to his fellow man, but more important to God. Reliability is not just a social obligation, he says, it is a spiritual obligation. God is even more concerned about our faithfulness than is the person relying on us in some particular situation. And then he alludes to Psalm 15, verse 4, really the whole psalm, which says, who shall dwell on my holy hill? Like, who's the one that God is pleased with? And then it says in verse 4 of Psalm 15, the one who swears to his own hurt and does not change. God wants us to be dependable. Here's, here's the kind of principle here. God wants us to be dependable even when it costs us. And, and, and if I could just give you the supreme example of this, it's God himself, isn't it? I mean, God is the one who is utterly and totally uh, trustworthy and dependable, especially when it came to the cost he was willing to pay. It cost him his only son. He swore an oath to Abraham to his own hurt and he was willing to fulfill that promise made to Abraham just as we sung today, all the promises of God, they find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So when, when Abraham uh, was put to sleep by God and God, as we saw when we studied through Genesis, God walked through you know, the, the, flaming, um, the, the pot, smoking pot and the flaming torch. What God was saying was this, I will keep my covenant, I will keep my promise, I will be the one who will step in the gap because I know you will be unfaithful, and all of that, listen, all of that, it culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. We see the faithfulness of God when we look at Jesus Christ hanging on the cross, when he says, I told you I would do what I promised to do. I told you I would save you and rescue you, and I knew you wouldn't be able to do anything to rescue yourself, so I did it all in your place. I would never waver on the promise I made to you. And again, 
if we're honest, we, we know this. He's the only one who is, who is totally trustworthy. But those who are faithful, listen, are striving to be trustworthy. So I know you're like me. You're not totally trustworthy. I mean, you, you have faults and failures and sin. I mean, you've gone back on your word. You've deceived people. You've lied. We all have. So you say, well, well that hasn't been me. It hasn't been characteristic of my life. I haven't always been honest. I haven't always been dependable. I really struggle with this. What do I do? Where do I start? Well, here's where you start. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Can you hear that? He is faithful. So again, what's the answer? Don't just try to be more faithful. Listen, look to the gospel and say, Christ was faithful for me and he's faithful even now. When I turn to him in repentance, He'll forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. You see, being faithful begins by understanding the faithfulness of God to you. And then, and only then, seeking to be faithful like him, the God who is totally trustworthy. So, will you cultivate it? Will you pray that God produces it? Will you strive for it? Secondly, Am I lovingly loyal? We're called to be totally trustworthy, and that's a great question to ask. Is that me? But secondly, I think this question is really, really important. Am I lovingly loyal? Now, the issue of of loyalty is found most often in connection, when you read through the Bible, it's found most often in connection with our friends and our family. And it really speaks to this idea of sticking with someone through thick and through thin. There is, I think, maybe no greater description of loyalty than, than Solomon's words in Proverbs 17, verse 17. And I'll put it on the screen, but I think this is a familiar verse to many too. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And I love how this verse really pairs both ideas. You see that? Of friendship and family? You got the friend and the brother, but, but in both contexts, do you just notice what they have in common? It, it's when it's hard. That's when you know who your true friend is. That's when you see what true love looks like. That's when you experience true loyalty. It's not just when things are really easy, when it's easy to have someone's back, right? When all is going well. It, it's really when everything begins to fall apart, when the wheels fall off. Loyalty is tested and proved in times of difficulty and adversity. And, and I want to look at this from a family perspective and a friend perspective, so let's think about family first. And let me just give you one more verse to chew on, um, just to emphasize this point. 1 Timothy 5.8, listen to what it says. Uh, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This is Paul's command and exhortation uh, for believers to take care of their relatives, especially widows who are in desperate need. Um, but, but I think he's broadening it a little bit, and he's broadening the principle to this idea that, listen, family takes care of family. <laughs> And this is a staggering statement that he makes. And this is a little bit jarring. He's like, if you don't take care of your family, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. Like, how how can he say this? There's a certain responsibility, a loyalty we have to be there for our family, especially in times of need, whether that be, you know, unexpected financial crisis or or health crisis, or or where, where we have, you know, aging parents, 
to care for them in really practical, tangible ways. I, I, like I see this in my own family. I, I've seen my parents do this for my grandparents. In fact, my Nana's here today. Uh, she turned 99 this week. Hi, Nana. <laughs> but I just, I, like, I watch the way that family is loyal to family. And it's not through lip service, it's through loving actions. It's through practical care. And the Bible says that that's right. That's a measure of your faithfulness. And you, Paul can say this because, listen, if you abandon your family in times of need, it's like you don't understand the gospel. You used to, we say, what do you mean? Well, let me ask you this. Did God, the Father, abandon you in your greatest time of need? No. In fact, he did the exact opposite. He saw you in all of your sin, in all of your brokenness. He saw you when you were hopeless and helpless. And what did he do? Did he, did he kind of push you to the side and say, I'm, really, I'm looking for people who are more put together? I'm looking for people who, you know, the world views as successful, the world views as influential, because that's who I really want to rescue. I want to rescue the people who, who really have it together. That's not what he did. In fact, that's the exact opposite of the gospel. He looks at people who are broken and flawed, and again, who are in the muck and mire of their sin. I mean, they're waist deep, and they're stuck, and that's the people God says, I'm going to help that person when they call out to me in faith. The very heart of the gospel is that we have a, a loving father who is faithful to his children when they are unable to help themselves. And so the greatest demonstration of the gospel in one sense of our faithfulness is being able to help those, listen, who can never in turn help us in, in, as a payback. And, and, and Paul says, even the world gets this. Even unbelieving pagans take care of their own relatives. So if you're missing the mark on this, then you've got real problems in your understanding of the gospel. So let's apply this principle a little more broadly really quickly, okay? Because, I, again, this isn't just about aging parents. I think this is about our loyalty to family in general. And I, I think this has to do with our roles in a family. I think God loves the family. God designed the family unit and, and commitment and loyalty to one another is something God really loves and values. That's why, by the way, the church is described as a family. We're supposed to see a parallel here between the nuclear family and the family of God. Now, I understand, by the way, that, that some families, nuclear families, are broken, and so some of this isn't directly applicable. So I just want to be sensitive to the fact that some of you in here, it, it, just, it may not be a one-to-one -one translation, and I get that. And so some of you, you're actually, your, your nuclear family, your physical family is so broken, but what God has done is he provided you with a church family, a spiritual family. And the principle does cross over there, but we're gonna look like at that in, in, in the next point, so just hang on. But I wanna ask some of you, lots of you here are part of really good families, and so let me ask you um, at home, listen, are you a faithful spouse? If you're married in here, are you a faithful spouse? Are you faithful to the covenant you made with your spouse when you got married? Husbands, let me ask you are, you, are you faithful to keep yourself to your wife alone? Now, hold on a second here. Some of you are like, well, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not committing adultery. You know, I'm, I'm not having inappropriate relationships with other women. Okay, are you dabbling in pornography? 
Are you not controlling your eyes? Are you allowing yourself to lust in dishonorable ways to your spouse? Wives, are you faithful to your husbands? Are you faithful to love and support them, to care for them? Or do you simply put up with them? But you find yourself constantly complaining about them, to them, criticizing them, maybe not even to their face, but to others. If you're a parent, are are you a faithful parent, a faithful father or a faithful mother? Are you more committed to your child than you are to your career? Are you more committed to discipleship in your home than you are to scrolling on social media? Are, Are you as a parent available, approachable, accessible? Are you intentionally investing time in the lives of your kids? Do you give your best to your family or do you just give them the leftovers? Children, you're not off the hook. Are you faithful children? Because the Bible calls you to honor your father and mother. Like that's the first, the first commandment with a promise that it may go well for you, that you may live long in the land. The Lord is so pleased when you honor your father and your mother. Are you respecting the authority they have in your home? Are you seeking to serve not just your parents but your siblings? Are you looking out for their interests, not just your own? Are you looking to obey your parents in ways that are pleasing and right and glorify the Lord? Are you a contributing member of your home? Let's look at what it means now to be a faithful friend. Because again, Proverbs 17, 17 reminds us, right, that, that friendship and family are kind of tied together. There's, there's no such thing, let me just kind of say, like, there's no such thing as a fair-weather friend, okay? A fair-weather friend is not a biblical friend. That's not the definition of a friend according to the Bible. Um, loving loyalty is expressed not in times of plenty, but in, in times of pain. We see that most often in times of adversity. Now, now we know this saying, right? This is, a world, this is a worldly saying, but it's a biblical principle. A friend in need, help me out, is a friend. That's true. That is biblically true. That's what Proverbs 17, 17 is telling us, that a friend in need is a friend indeed. The person who shows up in your moment of need, that's your real friend. And I think the greatest example of this, of, of friendship in, in maybe in all of the, especially the Old Testament, but maybe in all the Bible, is the friendship between uh, Jonathan and David. I, I love the picture of friendship there. They, they just, they loved each other so much, like as, as friends should and can. And, and Jonathan actually provides one of the best illustrations of loyalty, I think, in all of the Bible when it comes to friendship. His loyal friendship with David, listen to this, it almost cost him his life at the hands of his own father. And amazingly, Jonathan actually realized that his loyalty to David would cost him the throne. Whether it be in honesty or dependability or loyalty, faithfulness is frequently, listen, a very costly virtue. And only the Holy Spirit can enable us to pay that kind of price. So let me just ask you right now, what kind of friend are you? Are you a faithful friend? Are you dependable? 
Are you, are you available to chat when, when somebody needs to or hang out when they need to? Are you there when your friend desperately needs someone to talk to? Or, I think, look, in our culture, here's what's becoming increasingly common. I talk to a lot of people about this. We have so many superficial contacts and not enough deep friendships. And I actually don't think in this life we can have too many really, really deep friendships. I think kind of the max capacity, this is a little bit arbitrary, so don't, you know, this isn't, this isn't in God's word, just hang on. But I, I just, I've found that it's, it's really possible to have like between three and five really deep friendships, and then, you know, maybe 12 to 15 kind of like at a different level of friendship, but not quite as deep, and then everybody else is kind of like we're friends, but we're more like acquaintances. We know each other, we love each other, we just can't have the depth of relationship because we can't have proximity with that many people. Cultivating deep friendships begins by, by committing to being lovingly loyal. And I want you to notice, I didn't say here blindly loyal, okay? To be a true and loving friend is not to be there for them only in their time of need. It is actually to be willing to speak the truth in love to them in their time of need. And, and there's a time and a place for this. I'm not encouraging you just to run out and start rebuking all your friends, okay? Okay. Um, friends, they listen, they learn. Sometimes they're just a shoulder to cry on. Sometimes you don't need to correct every little wrong thought or wrong action or attitude. It's not what I'm saying. But there is often, listen, this loyalty test, if I can put it that way. And the loyalty test in your friendship is when you see your friend in sin, clear, blatant sin, and you're willing to confront it. I... I I went through this not a while back. I'll never forget, I had a friend who, who said to me, who was really, he was in sin. He was really in, in very obvious, blatant sin. And, and his comment to me was just, I just need friends who are gonna support me and agree with me. And if you can't do that, you can't be my friend. And I, and I looked at this, this brother and the Lord, and I just said, well, then I, I, can't, I can't be your friend then, because that's not the biblical definition of friendship. In fact, Proverbs 27 Verse six says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So if you want somebody who's just gonna be blindly loyal, if you want somebody who's just gonna agree with you and encourage you even when you're in sin, listen, that's not actually your friend. According to the Bible, that's your enemy. Why is that your enemy? Because they're not concerned about your well-being. They're not concerned about your real true good. They're not concerned about what's best for you, and they're certainly not concerned about what most honors and glorifies God. But, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I think that Jesus is the greatest example of this in all the Bible, isn't he? He is the loving, loyal friend that we desperately need. He meets us in our greatest moment of need and he supplies everything we need. And in love, he confronts our sin. He convicts us of our sin. But listen, in love, he covers our sin. Not sweeping it under the rug kind of covering our sin, but he bears our sin. He pays for our sin with his own perfect life. But, but then, listen, if you just think of the friendship of Jesus, it's not just the cross. You see, in light of the cross, the friendship of Jesus is supposed to continue throughout your whole life. Jesus is the friend of sinners and, and he loves you so much that he'll be there for you through thick and thin. He's never going to leave you or forsake you, but I promise you this, one of the ways you're gonna see the love of Jesus in your life is that he loves you too much to let you keep walking in your sin. 
And in fact, the Spirit of God has been sent to you, not just as a comforter, but to convict you of sin, to actually help you understand when you have violated God's goodness, righteousness, and truth. Because God, listen, because to thrive as a follower of Jesus Christ is to walk in step with the Spirit. It is to walk in obedience to Christ. The Word of God tells us that the Father disciplines every child that he loves. He is faithful and will not let you be tempted, though, beyond your ability, Hebrews tells us. He sends that Spirit to convict us, and he sends that Spirit not just to convict and confront us. Listen, he sends the Spirit of God to conform us to the very image of Christ. Jesus is so lovingly loyal to us that even though we continue to sin, if we are his, he will never leave us or forsake us. He is with us and in us, and he loves us, as John 13, 1 says, to the very end. In fact, Jesus is our good and faithful friend, and he is our loving and loyal brother. In the truest sense, I want you to hear this, in the truest sense, he is the friend who loves at all times, and he is the brother who is born for adversity. Do you realize that? In the, the culmination, if I could say there is a, a theological trajectory of that verse in Proverbs, it, it lands right at Jesus Christ. He is, he is the greatest friend you will ever have, and he is the brother who is born for adversity. He will never leave you or forsake you. May we strive by his grace and power to be lovingly loyal to others as he is to us, but we must also be that to him what he is to us. So I want you to ask yourself one more question to help you cultivate faithfulness. It's third and final question, am I completely committed? Am I completely committed? And you can maybe just flip in your Bible to Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, we've been given this parable that Jesus tells in verse 14 and following, the parable of the talents. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, you know, to summarize this, the, the, the kind of meat of it is there's these three servants that are given a talent each, and they're, they're told to go out while the master leaves. And when the master returns, he wants to see what they've made of the talent that he's given them. And, and you know the story, they each come back with different amounts, one ten, one five, and basically one simply with the talent. They buried it in the ground. And then Jesus actually comes to them and responds to them. And I just want you to just see verse 21, what he says to the one who, who made five talents. It says in verse 21, his master said to him, well done, look at these words, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then in verse 23, he says the same thing to the one who comes back and, uh, and, and came back with two talents. And, and he says, look, I've, I've made two talents more. His master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll, I'll make you faithful over much. And then he actually looks at the one who comes back to him and wrongly understands his character. Notice again how the character is tied to the response of the, the servant. He thinks God's this taskmaster. He thinks God is, is this angry, angry master. And here's the answer that's given to him in verse 26. You wicked and slothful servant. 
You, you wicked and slothful servant. You, let me translate this. You unfaithful servant. You unfaithful servant. Look what I gave you. And, and here are the talent. It's very obvious. The talent represents the life that, they've, that you've been given in Christ. And all that contains, there's a million ways we can break this up, but it really, if you boil it down to one thing, it's about what God has given you, the life he's given you in Christ. You've been saved by the grace. If you're a Christian here today, you've been saved by the grace of God, amen? The spirit of God lives within you and is working to transform you and change you more and more in the image of Christ. And, and not only that, now God, you know, this is gospel impact, what God is doing in you in order to work through you. You can't forget this. There is a, it's not just that God wants to conform you in the image of his son. The reason why he's doing that is because he wants you to be a holy vessel in the master's house who is fit for service to the master. He wants you to be useful to the master. And, and you have to see this. The, the less and less you look like Christ, the less useful you are to the master, okay? There's a correspondence to your usefulness and your Christ-likeness. And so this is why you have to take this so seriously. And it also connects to the way that God is going to respond to you on the future day when you stand before your king. He's gonna look at you and he's gonna say, okay, I saved you by my grace. I gave you this new life. I gave you everything you needed for life and godliness in my son, Jesus Christ. I poured my spirit into your life. I gave you my word. I gave you the mission as clear as possible. You can go into all nations and make disciples. Build up the... Now, what did you do with what I gave you? And, and I just think we need to see this. We, we will only be truly faithful to others when we learn to be truly faithful to God. That's what the Bible is trying to get at. And what we see in this passage and others is that we are actually, we need to view our lives, listen, as stewards, not sovereigns. It's really important, really important because the world wants you to view your life as a sovereign, as king, as ruler, but God says, you don't understand. Everything you have is a gift from me and you're a steward who's going to give an account for what I've given you. This is a staggering concept because it involves great responsibility and therefore great accountability. None of us are sovereign lords who answer only to self. The sovereignty of God puts us in our place, and that place is in God's service. Paul would say that in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, looking at his own life, he says, it is required of stewards that they be found, guess what the word is? Faithful. Faithfulness includes a long-term, steady, dependable, lifelong commitment. Faithfulness means wholehearted, whole-life allegiance, born out of a growing love for God and sustained by constant trust in God and evidenced in ongoing obedience to God. So the obvious question is then, what must I be committed to? I just got two things that I want to kind of land the plane on here, okay? Here's the question I want you to kind of push a little further into your heart. Am I completely committed to Christ? Am I completely committed to Christ? Or is my commitment half-hearted? Listen again. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross, listen, and follow me. Deny yourself. This is, this is about more than you. Your life is about more than you. Your life is about the king and his kingdom. 
So first, listen, faithfulness means that I am completely committed with unwavering faithfulness to Christ as my Lord and Savior. It means, therefore, faithfulness to the Bible as the word of Christ and faithfulness to the gospel, which is the work of Christ. Christian faithfulness means that you have this proven track record of obedience. I, I, I want to just give you this quote that I came across by Aaron Mankoff. It's, it's so good because it just combats what we face in this world, this idea of success and faithfulness. Listen, here's, here's what he says. The world cares about plaques and popularity, real estate and revenue, glamour and glitz. God cares about faithfulness, the steadfast commitment to honor the Lord in a thousand simple ways. Faithfulness is the resolute commitment to honor the Lord in the nitty-gritty details of everyday life. It begins in the nitty-gritty details and it overflows into every single aspect of your life. With all that God has given you, with all of the, the time and the talents and the treasures, with every part of your life, God is saying, are you committed to me and to my glory? Are you committed to my mission? Faithfulness means you know what you really believe, whom you really love, and what you are ultimately committed to. Faithfulness means being sure of what you want to live for, listen, and what you're willing to die for. Faithfulness is what author Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. Faithfulness, though, listen, I want to make this abundantly clear. Faithfulness is only possible from us when Christ is everything to us. Faithfulness is only possible from us when Christ is everything to us. Are you a Christ follower here today? If not, will you commit to follow Christ? Will you see that God wants to give you life? He wants to give you purpose. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to use you for greater purposes than you can possibly imagine. And if you are completely committed to Christ today, here's the second question. Am I completely committed to Christ's church? Like Christ's church? Isn't being committed to Christ enough? Well, let me ask you, how do you know you're completely committed to Christ? One of the greatest ways is that you are committed to the church. Listen to what Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says on the screen there again, it says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised, I love this again, rooted in his character is faithful And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. J.B. Fesco says that God's people should also be marked by a faithfulness, a loyalty to the church. So if you're a Christ follower here today, if you're a Christian, you're actually called into a family, a church family, a local church where you are supposed to know and be known, where you are supposed to serve and be served, where you are supposed to grow and help grow. Jesus, listen, has only promised to build one institution on the planet, the church of Jesus Christ, of which he is the head and of which you are a part of the body. And he has not only called you to be a part of it, he actually calls you to help it grow up into maturity, according to Ephesians 4, to the fullness of Christ. In other words, let me put it like this. You need the church, but the church needs you. Every member is necessary. Every member is needed. Therefore, we need every member committed 
And he calls all who commit to him to commit to his church. And, and so for those of you who are committed to the church and you're like all in and going hard, praise the Lord, so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the committed core in the life of this church. I, I, could, just, I, could, I could list the people in this church who are so faithful, so committed, and I praise the Lord for you. I thank you. But some of you, you're, you're not there yet, and there's a lot of different reasons. Let me just list a couple. I think some of you have been really hurt by a church. And you're a bit jaded. And you've come to believe that because it's an imperfect institution with imperfect people that you really don't need it in your life. And I just want to say to you, you need to rescue the baby and you need to let the dirty bathwater swirl around the drain. Go right down. Or, or maybe I can say it like this, listen, because the church isn't Christ's baby. Listen, it's his bride. You need to, listen, you need to rescue the bride and throw the bathwater. Because Christ loves his bride. He loves his bride. He loves his church as imperfect as she is. And he is working in her and on her. And he's calling you to come and be a part of that process. Not to abandon it because you've been hurt. And if you come to this church thinking, well, I'll, you know, maybe I got hurt my last church. Maybe I won't get hurt here. Listen, buckle up. You will. Because there's a lot of imperfect people here. Not you guys. All the people who aren't here this morning. <laughs> We're broken sinners. We hurt each other. We sin against each other, but we restore relationships. We, we, we work hard at that. Listen, some of you, listen, you're not been hurt by the church. Some of you are just simply sitting on the sidelines of the church. And you're thinking, you're thinking that you can actually exist on the fringes without engaging in the family. And I, I can, listen, you're saying to yourself, I can be a Christian without the church. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I can be a Christian without the church. I can be a Christian without, I don't need the church. I'm just, I just going to commit to Christ. Listen, that's, that's true. You can be a Christian without the church. You just can't be a faithful Christian. And you can't be a thriving Christian. I like what Michael Foster says. This quote's been floating around. I think I, I read it from H.B. Charles this week. I'll put it up on the screen. This is so good. He says, nothing grows a Christian like a serious commitment to a single church week in and week out for years and years. Not conferences, not social media, not even personal devotions. The local church is where mature Christians are slowly forged in the fires of mundane faithfulness. You need the church. The church needs you. Some of you have been committed to the church, but then life's gotten busy. Or you've gotten lazy. It happens to the best of us. Desire for other things eclipses your desire for Christ and his bride, the church. You were once all in, but you find yourself now checked out or burnt out. And I'm sympathetic to that, the burnout, not the checkout. You can't just check out. Listen. But I'm sympathetic to the burnout. Let me tell you why. Because, for, listen, this happens in, in all... I talk to a lot of pastors. You know how frequent it is to hear about members of the church, faithful people in the church serving who are just getting burnt out? You want to know one of the main... Listen, that happens for a number of reasons, but a main reason that happens... Listen, this is really important. A main reason that happens is because we have 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Because too many people are content to just come in and just take, 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 and not give, give, give. Can you imagine if every member was serving faithfully in the life of the church? Do you think people would be burning out? I don't think so. Why? Because, because there's too many people trying to make up for the, the, the people who aren't participating and engaging. And so what happens is this. They're having to wear a bunch of hats they shouldn't be wearing. They're trying to do too much. And, and, and it's becoming exhausting. And what God is trying to say to some of you is this. Like, listen, this is not the way a body is supposed to function. Every member's got to play their part. And so here the Lord is today maybe calling you back. It's time to re-engage. It's time to repent and return to your first love. It's time to do the things you did at first. 
It's time to prioritize faithfulness once again and to pray that God would produce this in you as you intentionally cultivate it. So let me ask you, this is practical application. Are you a member? Are you a member of the church? Stop dating the church, okay? You, you all know those people, right, who date for five years and like, I don't know if we can get, stop that. Stop dating the church. Sign on the dotted lines, commit, get in, get involved. There's nothing you can give your life to that's more important than this. Do you realize that? Nothing. And there's nothing, if you do it faithfully and you trust the Lord, there's nothing that God will bless more than your commitment to him and his body, the church. Have you committed? If so, are you faithfully fulfilling your commitments? Here's what we commit to as part of a, you know, our commitments we make to regularly participate in the life of Redemption Church. I'm just reading this straight off of our membership commitments by prioritizing our corporate gatherings, right? A coming together. I get it's summertime. This is just like not like, ah, oh, I've missed a couple Sundays this summer. I get that. But listen, are you prioritizing it? Praise and prayer. Are you committed to coming as a church family? Are you committed to that? If you're, part of, if you're a member, you're committed to that. By engaging in purposeful discipleship in community. Are, are you engaging in discipleship? That's what we're supposed to be doing. By intentionally serving others. Are you serving others? And, and for a lot of you, the answer is yes. Praise God. Excel still more. For some of you, it's like, let's go. Let's go. J.B. Fesco says again, he says, when so many things in life compete for loyalty and faithfulness, it is Christ, our families, friends, and our church that should top the list. All else, he says, is secondary. And in the New Testament, faithfulness is one of the most common characteristics noted to describe and commend fellow followers of Christ. Can that be said of you? It can be. And by the grace and power of God, I trust it will be. You can get to the end. It's possible. Listen, church, this is the hope. By the grace and power of God, you can get to the end of your life and stand before your king and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we pray that that would be true of all of us. God, we confess that we find ourselves living for so many other things, so many other lesser things, not necessarily even sinful things, Lord, but just lesser things. And Lord, I just pray in your grace and compassion that you would remind us even now, just again in a fresh way in this moment of how faithful you are to us. And God, that it would be our desire to be faithful to you, our King. Help us, O oh Lord. Strengthen us for the task at hand. Help us to not grow weary in doing good. God, we pray that our lives would be marked by a, a faithfulness to you, to your church. God, it is our longing. And Lord, I, I pray, I beg, oh God, would you make it our longing more and more in this moment to stand before you one day and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We praise you, Jesus, our King, for you are our faithful God. Receive our praise now, we pray. It's in Jesus we ask this. Amen. Let's stand together.